Uh, hi, welcome back to Emo Social Club episode whatever. Three and a half, four, who knows? Three and a half, four, whatever. Uh, we're doing kind of a mini episode this week because uh, we had a great interview with Our Music My Body that is going out as a full episode. So this is just kind of like to touch on a couple other things we wanted to bring up because they happened recently. And it's timely. And it's timely. And so we wanted to, yeah, just kind of talk a little bit and keep you guys occupied with our voices in the meantime. You know, as you know, everything is coming up. <laughs> as everything is coming up. So. Um, yeah, a couple of quick plugs to start us off. Uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 29th of August. Uh, which means that tonight is our Taking Back Emo's first monthly night at Beat Kitchen, uh, which considering that by the time this episode is out, it will have already happened. It was great. We crushed. So good. I was very tired helping being a showrun, being point of contact, you know, the usual. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, we announced (laughs) that we are, I'm like, love talking like we're in the future. Uh, We announced the second monthly, which will be September 26th at Beat Kitchen. Uh, and we'll be playing the Taking Back Sunday album Louder Now, which I think will be fucking sick. That's going to be sick as shit. Uh, before that, on September 22nd, we are playing Gabe's in Iowa City. If you're in that area or you're going to University of Iowa, uh, come to that and too. And you got nothing else to do because there's a lot of corn there. There's so a football you, game that day. So, you know, the audience I mean, is I, too mixed. I, yeah, there's that. And then, you know, you can hang on cornfields and like <laughs> maybe try to contact aliens. Is that what they do out there? That's what I do out there. Okay. I mean, the show, but also the aliens thing. Okay, cool. But um, like, maybe go to the show because, you know, you won't get abducted by aliens <laughs> and like probed or something. No promises. Um, Lizzie, do you have anything you want to promote? Man, not really. I don't have too much going on over Sick. at XRT, but, you know, <laughs> that's nice because I'm tired. Sick. Otherwise, uh, this comes out before Riot Fest. I'll see you at yeah. Riot Fest, but don't be creepy about it. Yeah. The biggest thing. Don't, don't be like I've seen you around. Don't be fucking, fucking creepy. Fucking weird. Uh, also, if you are listening on iTunes or wherever you uh, listen to podcasts, you probably are because that makes sense. Leave us a review. Uh, in the next episode, we'll be reading off some of the five star reviews that we have. So yeah, if you want to be uh, read aloud on the internet, if you want to read aloud in class, like uh, like throw popcorn. Us some, yeah. So throw we'll, us some we'll, reviews. Like, will we stop mid sentence and then be like, okay, popcorn, Brian. <laughs> Popcorn over to uh, Lizzie over there. Yeah, we'll do something like that. So uh, we're just going to talk about a couple quick things that came up recently that are related to the emo scene, related to emo music. So the first thing I want to talk about is the fact that Max Bemis, uh, the lead singer, probably main guy in Say Anything, recently released a letter saying that Say Anything is done, which wasn't really the whole point of the letter or PDF document or yes. Word doc or however you want to say it. Like, and usually I think people like tweet, the manifesto. But yeah. It's like this weird long manifesto, but it's, it's a really good read. Like, I think that it's, it, it's really interesting to hear from an artist like Max Bemis about, you know, somebody who's been so outspoken about his bipolar disorder, who's been challenged with it and fighting with it for probably his entire life, or this is the entire time that we've known him as a musician. You know, we are we're we're interested to hear a lot more about that from this this letter. But he goes into a lot. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting was how he described is a real boy because he kind of gets a little bit more. I, I didn't go to their 
album show when I they did not came around. Either. Yeah. I had another friend who did. Yeah. I know that it was kind of like a, it was a set in defense of the genre, like album play because they, it's a two night album, but they yeah. did a, uh, is a real boy the first night. And I, I couldn't go to it. So I don't know if there's like anything around that or press about it to, to know more about that album. And I personally hadn't read about anything that it was discussed, that was discussed in this uh, document. I can't not call it a document. It's just so long. Uh, anything that wasn't in this PowerPoint presentation uh, <laughs> that I, I knew I, I, this is all kind of news to me. So um, he wrote, he didn't write it from a personal place. He wrote it kind of as a musical or a play or something that he would, he thought they were going to actually make into a performance based right. thing like musical or whatever. And so he, he wanted to kind of clear the air about it to say, I don't know anyone named Molly Connolly. <laughs> like this is about a not real person. And yeah, and stop asking guys. me about her. <laughs> I mean, I know that I, after I briefly skimmed this mm. document manifesto short novel <laughs> and there's people responding saying, so what was this? Was this like a concept album? Are you just pulling our legs? Is this this weird interdimensional like inception world? I'm like, okay, but let's also look back on how, Bands like My Chemical Romance have definitely yep. done a shit ton of concept albums. Like it's not yeah. out of the ordinary for any type of bands to have a concept album, maybe because they are pop punk and usually mm -hmm. pop punk typically has been more realistic where they're like, oh, my God, this girl like broke up with me and my heart shattered. Mm -hmm. And that's real. But I mean, definitely there have been other bands who have a. Uh, done concept albums i, I mean, mean you can't look at my chemical romance danger days but guys that fucking happened so the weird thing about my chem as far as their like concept albums is that all of them have technically been concepts just not like one consistent one across all of the the album three cheers for sweet revenge was supposed to be like a movie plot that they were writing right, song yeah. to be like kind of a part of the movie but of course they're like eh we're writing cool songs. I know he wrote a lot of lyrics about like comic books. So he was just writing like the story of the comic book, like as a song, yeah. which is cool. I, I dug it. Uh, a lot I mean, of Danger Days references. turned into an actual comic book yeah. too. And so that was uh, what they were saying at the same time was that they, um, Danger Days was a concept, but there wasn't a central storyline to it at all. They wrote some after the fact. Yeah. But when they were writing the album, it was just kind of like, yeah, we have these ideas and these are pictures and, Gerard wants it to look like this and all that, but it wasn't like, here's the storyline from beginning to end. Not in the same way, like the black parade was like, right. That was a huge, a, like, all this right, is guys. a story. This is the whole thing. They said it like that in the meeting. This is a story. That sounds like a metal lyric. This is a story. Anyway, like so, you're going to uh, cover Slipknot. I'm going to. So he also mentioned that say anything back to Max Bemis. I'm, I'm done talking about my comical romance for a minute. Just one. So, um, <laughs> He talks a bit about the new album, Oliver Appropriate, that they are going to be releasing soon as kind of a follow-up to Is A Real Boy. I think that he's, in my mind, his, his idea is bookending it, like having their first album that got them to where they were, gained, gained them a lot of new fans, gained right. them a lot of opportunity because the album did so well. It's a great album, too. Like, definitely, like, one well, of the albums that shaped yes. my time as, yeah. Growing up in the emo scene, that was like one of the main albums to me. Maybe there will be a monthly where we do that. I don't know. I oh, can't. Man. I can't promise that. That's ridiculous. Bet. Bet. So I, I think that he he wants to bookend the say anything story of the band as 
we started with is a real boy and we end with all of our appropriate being this is how say anything has existed now leaves the door open to do more music in the future but and i really like this sort of uh way of saying the band is quitting is that we may do stuff in the future we don't know like we're just going to kind of play it by ear because there seems to be this idea that music works one way and that is the band exists or the band does not exist yeah and a band like let's even uh, say fallout boy right now because fallout boy is unsigned they can do whatever they want so they're like we want to put out an album now okay we want it to be like this okay we want to do this okay like say anything is a band I feel like could absolutely do that if they uh, if they really wanted to come back and be mm-hmm. like, all right, guys, here we go. Yeah. And he says in the article, like the label's probably not going to be happy that we're putting out this new album, but there will be no touring. There will be nothing for the album. It will only be released as a CD music, whatever. And there it is, which he also mentions is because of he doesn't want to put himself in the situation of touring anymore, whether that affects his uh, bipolar disorder, whether it's because he's away from his family, whatever the reason is. Totally get it. Right. Well, I mean, even um, the band Real Friends, they had to stop touring or cut. They were cutting tours short the last couple of years because their lead singer was battling the same thing, bipolar disorder. And he was like, you know what? I know we said we're going to be here, but I mentally cannot do it. And I think that's something that takes a lot of strength to do, Mm -hmm. especially when you, you know, have these contractual agreements and you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to piss off or disappoint fans. It's like you got to think of you first. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter about them in that situation. Like, if you need to go and you need to chill and reevaluate, you have to go do that because that's significantly more important than disappointing a bunch of fans who have maybe seen you already. It's also, I mean, obviously, music, especially in our emo scene, it's a way for a lot of people with mental health disorders, with bipolar disorder, depression, you know, the these sort of things are affecting people that are then sent out on the road without any resource to do anything about it, uh, to meet contractual obligations, to sing songs that they wrote to sort of cope with what they're going through to deal with it. And then saying you get no support system. Uh, no one will understand your disease. No one will understand what you're going through. And you just have to keep doing it because you're contractually obligated. And if you don't, you can't pay for anything. You have no exactly. money. Well, you don't get health insurance. You, you don't get health insurance. Yeah, I don't know how then. some of you have, you know, have health insurance. Maybe you, <laughs> maybe your parents love you enough. Maybe you're not 26 <laughs> yet. Maybe you don't know how, med- how Medicare or Medicaid works. Maybe Yikes. you work for a giant corporation. <laughs> and maybe you're lucky like and that. I don't know. Like, good for you, maybe I you guess. you don't follow your dreams and you just work for the man. That's, that's T, sis. Okay, but um, besides that, you—it's a, like, a reference to. Go on. It's okay. Go on. I'm it's not okay. explaining myself. Uh, but you also have people who you know are really affected by this music. Who are fans? They're like, oh my god, this music really got me through a really difficult time. And they're coming up to these band members who may not be able to be supported, and then unloading everything. Mm-hmm. Because I know that there have been people who have gone up and been like, oh, my God, let me tell you my life story about like, mm-hmm. you know, I went through depression and well, bullying. <laughs> and then I've honestly done that to people. And, and then realized, you just like, they oh, just wow. look at you and are like, oh, OK. Like, first of all, they probably don't know what the fuck to say. Yeah. Second of all, they're probably like, uh, yikes. Or then <laughs> yeah. maybe they even feel bad because they're like, oh, my God, they think I'm actually like better when mm-hmm. I'm not. And like, I'm not who I say I am. And I mean, it's a lot of like, you know maybes but yeah you I mean there are know. the bands that will sit with their fans and talk about it but the idea that you're sending a bunch of people out on the road to play shows for people 
and then don't really help them through the disorders that they're going through, through the diseases that they're suffering from. They don't have any recourse. Like it, it makes sense that bands should have a way to say, I can't like, I am not able to go and do this thing because of the fact that it will potentially kill me. Like it would potentially put me in such a place where I would do something dangerous or something bad would happen to me to where this is where it ends. And honestly, the band will live longer if you don't have those exactly. sort of things. And, and I mean, we seen the last year with just in general, so many celebrities have died due to suicide. Yeah. And a lot of it, be, you know, was from, you know, depression or mm-hmm. untreated mental health or anything that even came from like drugs and alcohol that was mainly triggered from mental health illnesses. And, you know, even people who had done something about it, it's still it's a roller coaster. You can mm-hmm. be co- completely cool one day and the next day you're like, I can't do this anymore. And I think the fact that so many people don't realize it and just think, oh, if you just take medication, you're okay. It's like, there's a lot more to it. Like usually they recommend if you're depressed, if you take medication, because it is a chemical imbalance and that you also go to therapy. But if you're probably a touring musician, you probably only get one or the other, or you're lucky that you even get one of those. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people recognize. A lot of us are privileged enough to be like, oh, yes, I can have my own health insurance. I can go to a therapist if I need to. Mm -hmm. I can, for the most part, you know, most likely afford most of my medication or get the ones that I really, really need out of importance. But you you don't really look at, I guess, your idols that way. And I think that's also an issue when it comes to people who, you know, put them on a pedestal and they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, my God, look at them. And it's like, okay, this is a normal human being. Like I've had friends who have gone to like meet and greets and they're like, do you want to come? And I'm like, I don't me working in like entertainment and broadcasting. I met a lot of artists and bands and I don't really feel like that starstruck, I guess, anymore because I've like, you know, interviewed so many people and I've just worked with them or just hung out like while we're setting up their gear for a show or something. And I'm just like, okay, like this doesn't affect me as much. If Fall Out Boy walked in, though, I'm just going to say, uh, that's it. We're done. Like, I'm Ladies freaking out. Ladies and gentlemen, Fall Out Boy. <laughs> <laughs> that would be... That would be my one stipulation. That'd be really weird. I might cry. I, yeah, I wouldn't know how to deal with that. I'd Carlos, just be like, you should this lock your door really more weird. often. <laughs> Pete Wentz, why'd you take so long to release the Mania Experience tickets the uh, other day? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um... Write another book. Write another book, you fool. Fun fact, I was at that book signing at Anderson's Bookshop in Naperville because I live in Naperville and I went down there and I was number 35 and I met Pete once and I thought it was the coolest thing and I still have the photo and I have this, I wear this knit hat in the winter and I had this big bow. I used to wear bows on the left side of my head. So I had this big ass bow on the side of my head and I'm like, oh, it's Pete once. <laughs> oh boy yeah one more thing about max bemis and then i think we're going to move on to another topic he also comes out as as, i'm reading the pitchfork article about it for whatever however you want to feel about that um what he says is i have always been bi-ish or queer or a straight guy who can also like boys i always talked about or joked about it with my friends and found it to be blatant and clear i was Uh, So he kind of used this opportunity to also come out in a way. Um, He also did address like, I am married to my wife who I'm mm -hmm. in love with. Like, I wouldn't go out and like really do anything 
because he is committed. Right. Um, and I think that also brings another issue because, you know, there are people who are, you know, bisexual who are like, oh, I'm bisexual, but like I'm in a heterosexual mm -hmm. at the moment relationship and they didn't get discredited about it because I know there's a huge issue with bi visibility mm -hmm. in the LGBTQ community because I have a, quite a few friends who are bisexual mm -hmm. and anytime like if I had a chick friend who dated a dude they'd be like oh no like it's okay you're straight and they're like mm, that's not how it works or you know vice versa mm -hmm. like you know a dude who's dating or I have a guy he's he's bisexual but he prefers to date men rather than to date women right. and I'm like that's normal but I think because there's such like a resentment towards it mm -hmm. for some whatever the reason I can't say too much on it I am a uh, straight chick so I have only learned <laughs> through research and observations and yeah. experiences through my friends and family so you can't really discredit people for whom they like that's not cool like at all that's really shitty actually and I think it's good that um you know this is now in uh, I'm sure there's more I can only think of three off the top of my head that have really come out in this way uh we talked about Brendan Urie coming out yes. as pansexual previously uh, Buddy Nielsen from Census Fail has also said that he's bisexual. There was a, a bit of an issue around that, which I don't quite remember the whole story yeah, around I don't it. Either. But, um, yeah, so now this being the third kind of person that that's been big within our emo scene saying this, which has always been like emo music has always seemed very open to it, open to being queer, open to being gay, having a connection to the LGBTQ plus community. But there hasn't been necessarily enough people that have come out, even if I mean, Max Bemis kind of says it like I knew I was. So I didn't really think it was a thing that I had to like say because everyone in my community knew. Right. But I do think that there's a certain amount of reason that people are saying it more recently than have said it in the past, whether that's because they were dealing with their complicated feelings and they feel like now that they're a bit older, they can really speak about it. Or whether it's because we say we're advocates, we say that we we believe that this is okay, we support people that are this way, but really, like when it actually happens, we aren't so open minded to it. Right. I think it's we project that we have such a safe and inclusive environment with when in reality we try to be, but we are also pretty silent on a lot of different issues. Mm -hmm. So we can say, hey, like we're really inclusive, but again, like by visibility, there is a significant amount of people who don't believe in it, which I don't understand. It's not like aliens, like you either believe or you don't. Yeah. Um, it's not like that. It exists. It's for realsies. Um, so stop. <laughs> it's for real. It's for realsies, guys. Come on. So I I feel like it's that's that way with a lot. And I also feel like at the same time, because we're in such a better culture and more my better mindset where we understand more mm -hmm. about those people who identify as LGBTQA plus in that whole entire community that maybe they even feel like, Oh, I don't really shouldn't have to say it anymore. It's like, that's just whoever I like. And mm -hmm. that's it. Like it shouldn't be a big deal. Or there's some people who say it and they say it because they want to like claim it and be like, this is me. I'm, I feel empowered. Like maybe they were repressed or like their family didn't accept them or anything like that. And I feel like those are a lot of good main reasons why people may be more prone to saying it or not saying it at mm -hmm. this point in time. Yeah. I think that, you know, visibility is such a huge thing in everything right now that we want to see 
ourselves depicted in, you know, major places like seeing the singer of this band, Panic of the Disco being a huge band, for example, seeing the singer come out as this way is at least a step in the right direction to providing more visibility to people who are feeling the same way or struggling with it in their own personal life where they don't have the support of being a celebrity to be able to say, I'm also this and look at my heroes, look at the people that I am connected with because of this, this fact about me. You know, personally, I wish that more people would be more <laughs> advocate to just about it. What's the word I'm looking what for? Are you like, like being there'd more... be more, there'd be more advocates. Like yeah. we'd have more people that are <clears throat> coming out and more people that are standing up in this way where it's like, now you can actually do something like, Oh, we all, it's okay. Everything is okay. We believe in this, but then actually doing it. And then if something says, if somebody says, Oh, actually I'm not that cool with it. It's like, we can address it. We can exactly say this isn't okay. It's about more being an ally, like which yeah. with a lot of people, you know, in the LGBTQ community are always saying, Hey, you say you're, you're our allies, but like, where are you when we really need your help? Mm-hmm. Or is it, where are you when we have people who are POC? Like, where are you? You're not there for them. How are you saying you're an overall ally? Like, you can't exclude people. 100%. And I think that's a totally other, you know, conversation. But that is something that is huge that we still have to recognize that, you know, people who are allies can still be like, oh, I'm only going to help like the ones who are like white. And it's like, that's not that's not no. what being an ally and all inclusive is, guys. You know? Oh, I agree. So yeah, I think that's all we wanted to really discuss on that topic for this week. But to uh, uh, go into inclusivity yeah. and POC. All right, so uh, inclusivity and people of color, it's a really wild topic because it seems like people want to talk about it and then not really further address it or just ignore it. What? Um, you know, yeah, right? I'm ignoring it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, some of you have heard of Princess Nokia. She... Her first notability, I guess, to fame, more mainstream fame was she threw uh, some hot soup on a racist in um, New York. And Good. like you do. Yeah, you fucking do that. Good. Good on you, girl. <laughs> Get them. But there's she also came out with a mixtape called Girl Cried Red. And it was cited as an emo mixtape or like an emo type of like EP. And naturally, I was like, all right, I'll try to listen to it. I listen to it and it, it's more rap, which is, you know, it's different. I don't typically listen to a lot of rap and I listened to it. And I was like, OK. And a couple of tracks kind of reminded me of like early Avril Lavigne. So I was definitely down yeah. for it. But according to Pitchfork, they didn't like it. <laughs> and I actually came across this tweet from a reporter, um, Eduardo Cepedita, and his at his Twitter handles at Bell Devo. <laughs> I'm probably definitely butchering it. I apologize. You know who Bell Biv DeVoe is, right? Am I too young for that? Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. It is not Bell Biv DeVoe. It's uh, oh. yeah. We'll 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 post a link to the original tweet on the yeah, uh, it's on a the really, show notes. It's and a all really that. good thread to read through. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially it's going through what emo actually is and why are people trying to still place it in the same realm as white people. Yeah. Overall, white people. Obviously, it's a lot of white men, but white people in general. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it is rap, so people kind of denounce it, and there's people who listen to it who are emo aficionados. This is in air quotes. (laughs) Cool. 
And they're like, this is an emo. How could this be emo? Like, she's rapping. That's wild. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it isn't like we didn't hear that in, like, Linkin Park and Hollywood Undead, you know, and a few other, you know, and different, like, bands and artists who are like, oh, yeah, like, I play emo-esque music or mm -hmm. dar have darker lyrics that could be cited as emo. But because, you know, for the most part, if they're white passing enough, if they are Hispanic mm -hmm. or like Hollywood Undead, for example, they a lot of them wore masks for the first like I think it was a year and a half, two years that they were out. So nobody mm -hmm. really knew what they looked like. And a lot of the members, you know, either own it or are white passing enough that they're able to get away with it. Mm -hmm. And of course, Lincoln Park, most of them, except for like what Mike Shinoda. I mean, the hip, the rapper in it. The hip hop parts of it all came from Mike Shinoda and Ex yeah. uh, I can't remember the DJ's name right now, but I know. Yeah, I know who you're talking about, yeah, but I don't yeah, remember. But, I yes. mean, they're both Asian and they brought that uh, that hip hop influence from their Asian upbringing into right. into it. So, I mean, yeah, it, it is kind of saying like there's a weird kind of cultural aspect to it. There's a weird kind of like elitist attitude of it. I remember the emo kids or the punk kids or the, you know, whatever like you hated hip hop because it was mainstream and it was everywhere and it was annoying and it was, it was, or, you know, or your parents were, you know, unfortunately racist and they were like, mm. I mean, maybe I could see it definitely how it stems from a lot of that. Yes. But you know, for me it was, I hated everything that was mainstream. So I hated Britney Spears and NSYNC the same way I hated Nelly and the same way I hated, you know, all I, I hated those artists because they were mainstream and that was the only reason i really hated them because now i'm like i don't give a shit about it and i love like all of that music right like you should go off to britney spears every yeah. once in a while it's like it it's fine but in that in kids growing up without having that mindset and having the influence of hip-hop pop music and the emo culture and the pop punk culture and growing up and wanting to create the music that they're uh, they're more attracted to. You've had a rise in emo hip hop a lot in the past couple of years. And uh, it's more accepted though. Like we had Little Peep, Rip Little Peep, yeah. and then we have like Lil Xan and people are like, oh yeah, like I'm for that shit. But then you have like Lil Uzi Vert who's also cited somewhat mm -hmm. with having more emo lyrics and, and most people are yeah. so quick to disregard it. You know, and then even like Post Malone, people are like, oh, he's, he's kind of he's kind of emo. But it's like we're so quick to accept these people who are white males. Yeah. Doing this art rather than people who actually created the art. People of color. Yeah, I think I agree with you. You do see like there are a lot of labels now that are scrambling to pick up some form of emo hip hop act. Uh, I can think of nothing nowhere on Fueled by Ramen. Yep. Uh, being recently picked up again, a white kid from uh, Connecticut. Yeah, Connecticut. No, Vermont. Sorry, repping VT like my name, Bernie Sanders. Sorry, I actually really <laughs> like Nothing Nowhere. Yeah, um, Nothing Nowhere is really good. We hope that he's doing better in yeah, his recovery absolutely. as well. As we were saying before, like people need to take time off of tour. He was another good example of that. But yeah, it, it seems like the first step was trying to get past hip hop. You know, you got peanut butter in my Reese's, like. <laughs> it's getting past the fact that it is now hip hop influenced music and, or, or just straight up rapping in this. And then we had to get past that to the point where we'll actually accept people of color doing it. And I right. totally agree with that. Um, I would credit 21 pilots with being one of the bands that sort of like mainstreamed it enough. <laughs> right. So where you it. hear the rap and you're like, Oh, okay, that sounds yeah. normal. But it has that backing beat that kind of makes it, 
equal out a bit. And it's being to be weird. Emo. And it's just like kind of like it's strange and it's not mainstream. It is popular, but it's not how a mainstream song should sound. Right. But what I'll also say is that I think a lot of this music is emo. I'm we have to keep we keep saying when we're doing Every air time quotes, when we say emo, just imagine us doing air yeah. quotes during this singular like it, podcast. It says, yeah. The the it's in quotes in the tweet as well. So I'm just gonna assume that, you know, it's and just listen it's the to same our tone thing. of voice. So we're like emo, emo. Just assume that it's either yeah. italicized or in air quotes. Yeah. So I mean, these lyrics that a lot of these hip hop acts are putting out, and I mean this from like little Uzi Vert, a lot of the, you know, the people of color that have just been writing hip hop SoundCloud rappers, I guess is what we'd say. Like, yeah, it's kind of used derogatorily, but like, it's a, it's a, it's a way to reference equal medium to put out your music and your, right. Your I mean, like my like old interviews from my college radio station are on SoundCloud. Yeah, like, it's just, what's up? Yeah, I think it's, it's bullshit to call somebody a SoundCloud rapper and mean it derogatorily. I digress. These are people whose lyrics are primarily about depression, wanting to commit suicide. Like, for for whatever it is, like these are the are similar lyrical content from the emo music we grew up listening to. And the thing is, too, for people of color, usually they come from backgrounds where the stigma of mental health mm-hmm. is severely, severely oppressed. I remember reading an article. I think it was The Guardian or Washington Post. It was a few months ago. Um, and it had a basically kind of a feature story about um, black communities and how there's a higher rate of suicide and depression mm-hmm. in black teens and young adults because, you know, within their culture, sometimes it's harder for them to be like, oh, I have this because of their upbringing. And it was a very, I know it's a very taboo topic mm-hmm. with a lot of people because you are addressing like, you know, another race that isn't your own. And then sometimes it's calling into question like, is it because they're more religious? Is it because of, you know, their, you know, where they live or like how, you know, race you know, and society has treated them because of their, you know, color. So it's a very taboo talk to talk about because you'd mm-hmm. never want to offend anybody. But it's also then if you also look at, you know, people in just, you know, different cultures like Hispanic culture, sometimes you can say like, hey, I have this and they can either be, you know, supported or they can be like, oh my God, like, no, like that doesn't exist. You just have to like, you know, man up or you have to just get it together and go out and do it. Like that's, you know, it and a lot of it for males included, a lot of it stems from, you know, toxic masculinity mm-hmm. where, hey, you can't cry like man up. That's not that's not cool. Don't do that to people. That, yeah. That's not OK. I um, we have our next interview set up with uh, Johnny from the organization Hope for the Day. So I think we're going to dive in quite a bit more about the stigma around mental health, the stigma around depression and suicide and sort of discuss a bit more in depth of how. Uh, you know, hope for the day is is similar to our, our music, my body, where they're at a lot of festivals and and uh, concert events and trying to spread the same message in the same way of like let's destigmatize it, let's talk about it, let's have resources for you, let's have a, a place, a safe place where you can discuss it. Um, so yeah, we're gonna dive in quite a bit more about that topic as well with them. I I do um, just want to mention about this this thread is that there is no. He uh, he says emo gatekeeper. Yeah. I agree that music is just music and you should be able to make whatever you want. Emo has been, like you said, kind of a toxic, masculine, white, primarily culture. This is sort of a way of saying like, hey, you remember how we keep saying that? Here's another example of the fact that like 
somebody makes something different who looks different than you and you are almost immediately trying to shut them out. And it's very ironic. Yeah. In this in that sense, because we're supposed to be a very inclusive community. But as soon as something comes around, it's like, nope, can't do it. That's not being inclusive. Yeah. I see it as emo is not a emo is a genre the same way. Let's say like EDM is a genre or rock is a genre or pop is a genre or hip hop is a genre. So why wouldn't you be able to make another style of music using influences from a different genre, which everybody does. Yeah. We're okay with it. You know, when a band takes EDM themed uh, uh, parts, you know, adds a bunch of synth to their yeah. stuff and has everybody throwing their hands up. It's like, and then there's a break, like a hardcore breakdown or something yeah, to, to accompany yeah. it. Remember when attack attack was a piece of shit. <laughs> so like the idea that you can do that and you're like, Oh, you know, that's fine. And now we all want this. And now every band is doing this and Oh yeah, this is okay. But it's not okay to like then bring the emo genre or emo influences to something else. Just seems very like, why do we care about that? more than we care about anything else. Like, Literally. And we have to remember that we have to evolve as musicians and yeah. creators. Right now, the top selling music in this, I think globally at least, is rap mm-hmm. and country. That's that's the reality of it. And if people, first of all, if people are conforming so they can sell their, sell their music to something that's more rap based, okay, cool. They're doing it so they can get more vocally heard or radio airplay that's a smart tactic (laughs) other people would be like that's selling out but listen it's smart exactly it's smart so you want to get paid if you don't like it literally (laughs) just you have to be realistic like i was never i used to not be as open to rap either but then you find things that you like and then you're like oh okay like i can you be open and not a dick about it i think the entire idea around like reviewing music and saying whether it's good or bad for like a magazine or a, a a piece of press that says this album is good. This album is bad is just stupid. Well, like, and at the same time too, you have music reviewers now who the biggest argument about it as a trying to do music reviews as a writer is I don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. So everyone, so, so pretty much everyone has a good album or at least a, yeah. You know, it's basic. Decent. It's it's you know? decent. Yeah. Nobody has been like this album fucking sucks. Yeah. I don't think I've seen a this album fucking sucks in like the last five years, and it yeah. probably came from Rolling Stone. Then that was it. <laughs> Everyone this year was like, it kind of slaps. It bops. Three out of five. I've never. I have not seen a, like a one star rating for an album it the last three five stars. years. <laughs> so I feel like the concept of music reviews. It used to be a really great forefront when people didn't have access to Spotify. Or music wasn't free. Exactly. So you had to be like, what am I going to spend my allowance money on yeah. this week? Like, Is do I want to buy money? an Attack Attack album? Or do album I want to buy... And you can... It's on Spotify. You're already paying for Spotify overall. You have all the music you want to listen to. You're like, oh, I'm going to check out this new album by Drake. I'm going to check out this new album by... Jay-Z and Beyonce, or I'm going to check out this new mixtape by Princess Nokia, or I'm going to check out Casey Musgraves. Yeah. It's like, like who you can listen to everything, which is why all the genres are blending as they are. And I mean, I know in the subculture, it's very much like, oh, I'm not mainstream. I'm too cool. I'm in my emotions. Yeah. Okay, cool. We grew out of that shit like five <laughs> years ago. I don't care if you're a teenager. 
if you're my, my age and a young adult together <laughs> stop or if you're like brian and he's like old and decrepit listen wow <laughs> Well, thanks for tuning in to the you know, Social Club podcast. Has been the last one because I have died. <laughs> well, listen, it doesn't matter. I feel at this point we've all grown and evolved as people, and within our culture in general, that we know that we shouldn't have to be so exclusive to music anymore. I mean, you see really wild music festival lineups now, even where you look at Lollapalooza and you're like, "What is this?" Right. I mean, yeah. I went there this year, and I was like, "Oh my god!" There's a bunch of like. Pop, like some pop punk and like emo acts. I'm like, I'm down for that. Then you see a bunch of like EDM kids over there, like getting really fucking lit at Perry's. Then you see a <laughs> bunch of kids, you know, going to see some indie band or you see like parquet courts. I was like this indie pop, like rock punk mix that has a fucking mandolin on stage. Huh. That was wild. It was yeah. very wild. But it's, I feel like that trend and that fad has died and mm -hmm. sh should die. Mm -hmm. And if that makes me not a true emo, well, whatever. I was like six years old when the original wave came out. So come at me. We run the social club. <laughs> you can't tell us whether we're right or yeah. wrong. We own it. We got the, the, the Instagram handle. Yeah. We it's don't have ours. the, we don't have the Twitter handle, but like if that person who has that Twitter you handle, have cause Twitter you handle, haven't like used club. it. Yeah. Um, oh, we're, hit we're, us back. We see you. We see you. We there. see you not using it. We see you not using Can it. Can I have that? Thank you. Can you allow our brand to correctly advertise itself on the Twitter website? Brand anyway, thanks for coming to my TED Talk. And uh, <laughs> that's where we're going to leave this mini episode. Uh, thank you guys for checking it out. Thank you guys for listening to our interview with our music, My Body. If you are going to be at any of our shows, come and say hello. Uh, you're gonna be at Riot Fest. Be Riot Fest. Say hey, say hey. Don't be weird about what it. What up? Yeah, but thanks again for everything. Uh, leave us some five star reviews. We'll read them on the next episode. And uh, until then, stay social. Stay club. frosty royalty. Oh, what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs>